Hey guys, before we start the episode, I'd like to thank our March Patreon supporters. So we have a new supporter, Amber McKissick, and we have someone increasing their pledge, Jules. Thank you so much. As well as just to let you guys know, for the month of March, I have suspended payments for Patreon. So if you're already a member, don't worry. That way we can give everyone some time to figure out what our new normal is because coronavirus has basically almost shut down parts of the United States, especially where I am in Ohio. A lot of businesses have temporarily closed. And so I now got a lot of time to do this. (laughs) But back to our regularly scheduled programming. Welcome back, devotees. I'm here. With Hi guys, my name is Jacob. I run the podcast on Germany. Beer. It's gonna take a minute. I have <laughs> gym finger. I can't use my pointer finger. Everything is slower. Everything is slower. Things you can't do if your your if your pointer finger is hurt. Turn your keys in your door or your car. Does not feel good when you hit your finger your sliced fingertip. What else did I discover? Just like simple things like putting on pants <laughs> isn't fun. <laughs> Really anything that uses a lot of dexterity for your pointer finger, because I was doing a cook with me and slicing vegetables, and I sliced my fingertip almost off (laughs) with a mandolin. And so now it looks beautiful. But yeah, Jacob, do you want to tell us about your podcast? Sure. So my podcast, which is on Germany, is also called Podcast on Germany. Um, I know, very simple name, but it's the one I wanted to go with. Basically, we are going from the very beginning of German history, and we're going to go all the way to modern times. Right now, we're in the middle of dealing with the fall of the Roman Empire. We're actually going to start with the Barbarians invasion uh, the week after this last episode pops up from this one. And we are just going to keep on going. We'll have a couple of other special episodes like this uh, scattered throughout the years. So looking forward to meeting some of you guys. Feel free to follow me on Twitter or on Facebook or sending me an email at podcastsongermany at gmail.com. There's probably going to be some language. There's definitely going to be some graphic material from both of us, I believe. And so just keep, just as fair warning, then get ready for some amazing stories from both of us, because we both found some rather juicy stories. One from my uh, hometown of Memphis, Tennessee, and then yours. is in Germany. And it deals with Nazis. Which I bet a lot of my (laughs) listeners have been dying for me to talk about. And I just haven't gotten there yet because we're still dealing with the Romans. You know, Romans, Nazis. All you need is some Roman Nazis. No, Mussolini. We just, that's the, that's the bridge that we need to have right there. We can jump from the Romans to the Nazis, which is Mussolini. (laughs) That actually seems like we just wrote a sci-fi movie right there. Roman (laughs) Nazis. There we go. I've got another one, guys. Sci-fi, please call me. Or I have so channel. many good ideas. You know, they, they'll probably support it too. We just yeah. got thrown oh. some aliens. That's there how they. Go. That's how they get there. It's like a. It's a. Ma- oh, got it. It's a mashup of Doctor Who, with Romans and Nazis. Exactly. It sells itself. History Channel and Sci-Fi will be <laughs> pounding down our doors any minute now for that. <laughs> <laughs> nope, that's just the trade. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to go first, and we're going to talk about. Sophie Skull, which my German pronunciation is kind of limited, even though I'm a quarter German, but the last name is easy. It's Klon. You know, doesn't look bad spelled in English uh, at all. Which quarter of you is German? Is it the arms, the legs? Uh... <laughs> it's, it's 
half of my mother. Oh, half I see, of my I mother see. is German. So, yeah, yeah, we always joke. We're like, well, you know, probably some of our relatives were Nazis. They were over there at that time. So it's hit or miss. Yeah, that's not a part of the tree line you probably want to trace too deeply then. No, the best German relative name that we have is Lottetitz. <laughs> Unfortunately, I think oh. she passed. But yeah, that was my, yeah, uh, my dad and my uncle really got a lot of fun of telling her husband what mm-hmm. that means in English. He thought it was great. She did not. So we're going to be around early 1930s. So we have Sophie Skull. Uh, she's the daughter of Magdalena Muir and the liberal politician and a really big Nazi critic, Robert Skull, who was actually mayor of the his hometown, Rotenberg, um, culture in the People's Republic State of Wittenberg hmm. when she was born. So she's one of six. Because you know those good, strong German families. So you have Ing Eiger Skrull, Hans Skrull, uh, Elizabeth Harshkinner Skrull, Sophie, who was born in 1921, Werner Fidel, Fidel. Um, she was brought up to be, you know, a good old Lutheran because Germany. See that or Catholic? Yeah, pretty. But it's the funny thing about Ohio. All the like all the Lutheran Germans mm-hmm. are up in Cleveland, so where I'm from, and all the Catholic ones are in Cincinnati. <laughs> where i am now so they're just like i'm like i thought you all were lutheran and they're like no we're very catholic i was like oh those <laughs> germans start your own 30 years war right there i know there's more of them <laughs> i'm outnumbered so she entered grade school at seven was a pretty good learner carefree childhood In 1930 they moved to Ruinsburg, and then two years later to um where her father had a business consulting office there and finally, they moved to Munich, where she attended secondary school. So a lot of moving around as a child, but pretty happy. When she was 12, she was required to go join the Bundeswehr Madel, which is a league of German girls, as like most young German women had to do at the time. And she initially was like really into it. She became like, a, I think it's kind of like Girl mm-hmm. Scouts, basically. And she became a scout, le- like the leader of her group. And then she's like, oh, this is not right. This is a bit off because she's like her pair. Um, her father had dissenting political views. Um, friends did, and also some of her teachers. So it shows that like there's not one viewpoint. When people are like, "Oh, the Nazis came to power in fanfare," it's like not everyone agreed exactly. with them the whole time. Even her own brother Hans, which I think is the most <laughs> German name in my mind, is Hans. Uh, he was really into the Hitler Youth program initially, and he was like, "Oh no," he like. And this is like when they're teenagers, they're like, nah, this is not cool. So pretty much they get this group of uh, a political attitude and like everyone, their friends weren't fond of the Nazis. They were more dissident. So her brother and friends get arrested in 1937 for participating in the German youth movement. And so imagine you're like a teenager, your brother and all your friends, like probably male friends get arrested for this. And you're like, uh, they're just like doing this like youth movement. Why are they getting arrested? So on top of it, so she's like having all these impacts while she's still a teenager. She develops a skill for drawing, painting. And this is how she gets into quote unquote degenerate artists so she's mixing with a lot of different people at the time on top of that on top of her art like love of art she's also an avid reader and so she's really looking into philosophy and theology and she graduates from secondary school in the spring of 1940 and the subject of her essay was the hand that moved the cradle moved the world so she almost didn't kind of graduate because of that i think because it was really provocative for like as the nazis are coming to part 
power. And I don't remember the exact year because I avoid this period of history, <laughs> like the plague. It's not your, not your time period. Huh? No, I'm a f- I'm fond of like the 18th century and then post 45. Like it's very it's a very weird juxtaposition of my research interests. Um, you know, on top of like her topic of her paper being like really controversial, she's also lost all like desire to participate in her classes, which basically were like, look at Nazi stuff some more nazi stuff wouldn't you like to be a nazi and she's like no thank you i'm 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 good probably made her extremely good. unpopular to say the least i mean, I mean imagine unpopular and imagine trying to graduate like fill out like grade do stuff you're like well you have to do this and you're not you're like conscious conscientiously objecting and so like they you're not doing work so they're like well i can't grade mm-hmm. if you don't turn it in so she decides to become a kindergarten teacher at the Frumbel Institute in Ulm, which I never knew there was a place oh, in yeah. Germany called Ulm. Sophie chooses to be a teacher because she would, she wanted to use it as an alternative service in the, oh God, it's one of those long German words, Reichsarsch National Labor Service, require uh, like a prerequisite to get into okay. university. I, I think I got the gist of what you said there for the, the name. <laughs> <laughs> I'll try it again. Uh, Reich Sar Biden. No, I think that one came <laughs> out worse. worse. So, so you got Reich. Reich. There's like a Sar Bite Bite Sten Shish. I've never taken a German <laughs> class at all. Can you tell? It's beautiful German. Your your quarter German is clearly showing. <laughs> uh, it's, it's okay. I, my French so, is the worst. So uh, I make my French the worst. Actually, my my Asian languages are the worst, but I make the French the worst just for one person <laughs> to piss her off. <laughs> So, unfortunately, this did not work. So, in the spring of 1941, she had to do a six-month stint in the Auxiliary War Service as a nursing teacher in Bloomberg. So, it's basically military-like regiment, and Sophie is like, oh, this is changing my political view- like views of the situation. And she's beginning to practice passive resistance. So, not like, we're going to go fight you and throw like bombs in the streets and like try to kill you all, like, I'm going to tra- yeah. try to change minds. So after six months in May 1942, she enrolls in the University of Munich as a student of biology and philosophy. That's an interesting combination. So her brother Hans was studying medicine there and he's like, hey, these are my friends and we'll soon meet them in a very full way. This group was known for their political views. Initially, they were drawn together by their shared love of art, music, literature, philosophy and theology. Also, as well as hiking in the mountains, skiing, swimming so, like, the most German <laughs> activities, as soon as they were, like, hiking in the mountains, I was like, yeah, that's, yeah, that's that pretty, about That's right. pretty much the common thing for Southern Germany. It's like, yeah, you got some time off, you go skiing or hiking. Um, on top of it, they attend concerts, plays, lectures. While in Munich, uh, Sophie meets a number of artists, writers, philosophers, particularly Karl Munt, uh, Munt and Theodor Hackier, who were, in, like, really important for her development. They basically question how the individual must act under a dictatorship because at this point they're under a dictatorship or they've accepted that they're under a dictatorship and they've been in, under a dictatorship for the longest of times <laughs> they're just now accepting that they are yeah what was it 38 or no it's 38 when they yeah this is not <laughs> there i know if there, something happens in 38 i think they might invade poland no, 39 is when they in 38 poland. something sign- okay 39 is poland then sometime in the 30s is when mm-hmm. hitler 
does come to pop. So during the summer vacation in 42, Sophie has to do war service in a metallurgy plant and also, you know, working with that metal. At the same time, her father is in prison for having making, made a critical remark about an employee, to an employee about Hitler. So, you know, it's a yep. family affair. They're not fans. You know, if you picture the sound of music where oh, I cannot remember the main guy's name. The Von uh, Trapp family. Where he pulls, yeah, Captain Von Trapp pulls down the Nazi like flag off their house. I'm sure he would be like friends with her dad in that way. They'd just be like, no, nah, I'm not cool with this. So, so Hans, her brother, and really a lot of this is just going to be Sophie and Hans because they go together. Hans had to spend two years in the military and he was a medic on the Eastern Front along with his friends Alexander Schmorell, Will Graf, and Jürgen Wittenstein in 1942 and they kind of start forming this white rose movement which is really what they're known for so we have between 40 and 41 han uh begins questioning the policies of the uh, nazi regime while he was in the hitler youth and his time as a student in munich he met two roman catholic men of letters who redirect his life basically turned him from like studying medicine as he was to pursuing religion philosophy and the arts you know the more lucrative college <laughs> careers so this is when he begins gathering his like-minded friends like i said alexander will urine and they they really determined that passive resistance towards the nazis through writing and publishing leaflets calling for democracy and social justice would be the best option so they're not gonna you know be like the french resistance who are bombing and assassinating or as i saw on the bbc today the women who would lure the Nazis out to the woods to kill them. Yep. <laughs> Those guys, the guys just can't keep it in their pants, so. Yeah, so, and they determined they're going to call themselves the White Rose. Um, um, were you able to find out why they called themselves the White Rose? I was just curious. Uh, I think it's, I, I feel like the white is kind of like the surrender, or like the passive color. I don't know why they called themselves the Rose. I really didn't see that. Um. So Alexander was asked to swear oath to Hitler, and he... He kind of refused, so he's discharged from the army. Volgraf uh, turned to passive resistance while serving as a medical orderly in Yugoslavia. And then he was assigned to the second student's company in Munich, where he met Sophie Hans, Alexander, Christopher, and Jörn. And Christopher Probst, uh, he was the only member of the White Rose that had was married with children. So, like, basically the other, was it, um, four, four or five, really tried to protect him. Because, you know, it's harder when you have kids at home and they're like, yeah, we really don't yeah, want this to happen. It makes him so, a liability, too. Um, so they have to make sure that he's the most protected of the group because he's the one who could easily fold. Yeah. So in the summer of 42, all of a sudden, four leaflets were written and distributed throughout schools and of uh, central Germany. And pretty much they have letters between school and her boyfriend, Fritz Hartenagel. <laughs> And she basically, they figured out that she didn't really write any of the yeah. pamphlets that came out. So she just really was good at distributing them, getting them placed in places. Sophie actually comes into the group later. So originally it's the five guys. And she found one of the pamphlets while she was at a university. And she goes looking at it, she's like, oh, my brother helped with this. <laughs> Probably slightly worried too. Like, oh no, this she, is my brother's work. Yeah. And I think she realized and so she's like, you know what? She kind of forced her brother into it. Um, her brother was really, like, not wanting her involved at all. He's like, Sophie, no. That's, like, it was dangerous. That's, that's but, uh, warrants for their deaths. Yeah. But she really was invaluable to the group because, one, she's female. So, like, 
the SS officers were less likely to stop her because they're like, oh, she's a woman. It's fine. What is she going to do? <laughs> Ma'am, do you need help carrying this bag? Like, that kind of stuff. So they're like, okay, easier. And they're starting to get, like, reports back of um, from her boyfriend, Hartnagel, of German war crimes on the Eastern Front where he witnessed so- uh, Soviet POWs being shot in a mass grave and learned about the mass killing of Jews, which... I mean, the shooting of the POWs could be so, like, it's like, which time, yeah, that, you know? Um, we always, in the Americas, we always focus on the Western Front, because, I mean, that's where we fought. But the Eastern Front was 10 times, 100 times far more brutal of uh, a war mm-hmm. than we could have ever imagined. The uh, the amount of war crimes that the Germans would put on the Russians and the Russians would put on the Germans, it, mm-hmm. it was just... Um, it's overwhelming what they would do to each other over there. Oh, yeah. I studied uh, mm-hmm. Catan uh, and that massacre and how many times it went back and forth. The Soviets saying it was the Russian or saying it was the Germans, the Germans saying it was the Soviets back and forth, back and forth. It's crazy. So really, as Sophie's corresponding with Hartnagel, they develop this uh, theology of consciousness writing and it's pretty much what'll come out once we see her get them get caught because how would we know about this unless they get caught Very much, unfortunately yeah so the the transcripts between um once they do get caught is turned into a 2005 movie it's called sophie skull the final days and so back to night the summer of 1942 so the six core members they create three more white rose pamphlets and circulated them so I have some quotes from the pamphlets, the total, I think, of yeah. six that they have. But why do you allow these men who are in power to rob you step by step, openly and in secret, of one domain of your rights after of your uh, of one domain of your rights after another, until one day nothing at all will be left but a mechanized state presided over by criminals? Is your spirit already so crushed by abuse that you forget it is your right? or rather your moral duty, to eliminate the system. Mm. So that's one of the mo- more popular ones. And this is the other mm. more popular one. Quote, Nothing is so unworthy of a nation as allowing itself to be governed without opposition by a clique that has yielded to base instinct. Western civilization must defend itself against fascism, fascism and offer passive resistance before the nation's last young man has given his blood on some battlefield. And then I also have, so this is from the second pamphlet. Since the conquest of Poland, 300,000 Jews have been murdered, a crime against human dignity. German encourage fascist criminals if no cord. Germans encourage fascist criminals if no cord within them cries out at the sight of such deeds. An end in terror is such preferable to the terror without end. So, like, the writing in these are, like, angry. Like, if you're reading this, you're like, I'm kind of convinced, like, this is not okay. And it shows, like, they knew what was oh, going yes. on early, earlier than most people claim to say. So the third leaflet demanded, quote, sabotage in armament plants, newspapers, public ceremonies, and, the, and of the National Socialist Party. Convince the lower classes of senselessness of continue, continuing the war where we face spiritual enslavement at the hands of national socialists, end quote. Then in the fourth leaflet, they ask, quote, I ask of you as a Christian whether you hesitate and hope that someone else will raise his arms in your defense. For Hitler and his followers, no punishment is commiserate with their crimes, end quote. And then the, fi- the fifth one, quote, Hitler is leading the German people into the abyss. Blindly, they follow their seducers into ruin. Are we 
to be forever a nation which is hated and rejected by all mankind end quote so it's like those are very thought provoking and Mm -hmm. deep pamphlets not like the ones we get like think of you got a pamphlet now or like a facebook post now it's not written like this like it's not gonna make you like if you were reading that at the time you have to think like what is this impact gonna be and question are you gonna keep supporting them uh, highly against the government there's no way uh, if they're caught that they could argue oh it was a prank or oh we didn't mean it like you know go against the nazi government we were just trying to push for free thinking no this is clearly saying the government's wrong it's bad we need to oppose it oh yeah especially when they talk about um like they it's a it's a crime against human dignity because really the phrase crime against humanity wasn't it was it was a newer concept so not everyone knew it at this point and you can see like they're kind it's kind of that idea they're like we're committing crimes against our own race and our own population. Like, what is what? What are we gonna do? So, in January of forty three, using hand operated duplicating machines, which I believe is they're gonna set it up so they like one person's writing it and then the, like they can have multiple things following it. Um, so not like a press. The group is believed to have produced between six thousand and nine thousand copies of their fifth leaflet, titled "Appeal to All Germans," and. It was distributed via courier to many cities. They like mailed them out. I was like, that's a ballsy move. I'm going to take this propaganda, like anti-government propaganda mm-hmm. and mail it. Like, oh, so where did these copies appear? Surrogat, Cologne, Vienna, Friedberg, Hems, Hamburg, and Berlin. So like they got a pretty wide reach. Mm-hmm. So this one was um, composed. The fifth one's composed by Hans Scroll with improvements by Huber. And the leaflet warned basically that Hitler was leading like German like Germany into an abyss with like basically they they're like the allies are going to come and this is not going to end well. So they saw that they were losing and they're like, "Hey guys, we're losing. Maybe we should like kick them out. Change this pattern." Uh because the reader was then urged to support the resistance movement for freedom of speech, freedom of religion, protection of in- the individual citizen um from the criminal dictator states. And you know, they were like these ideas should really form this new foundation of a new Europe. Huber would then draft the final two leaflets. The seventh draft would be written by Christopher Prost, and it was actually found in possession of Hans Scroll at the time of his arrest by the Gestapo, who destroyed and it. And when was this? Sorry. And really, we're, we're, get, we're going to get okay. to their discovery. So with like them basically sending out, mailing out these pamphlets, the Gestapo is like, I'm very interested in figuring out where these came from, who wrote them, and uh, how to end this. So Sophie and pretty much the rest of the White Rose were arrested in distributing the sixth leaflet at the University of Munich, February 18th, 1943. So they really have only been doing this for about a year, maybe mm-hmm. two, and they've caused that much of a stir. And it's like seven people, which is crazy. So whenever people tell you one person can't change the world, seven people pissed off yep. the Nazis <laughs> this much. So, the Skull siblings brought a suitcase full of leaflets into the university's main building. They kept dropping, like, stacks of copies in the empty corridors for students to find when they left lectures. You know, leaving before all the lectures had ended, they noticed that some of the leftover copies in the suitcase, and then, like, so basically they did their whole drop-off, and then they look in the suitcase, they're like, oh, we still have some. So Sophie's like, you know what? Fuck it. And just threw them from the top floor down into the atrium. So, you know, like that really cinematic kind of like, just toss the papers. 
movement. And the university's maintenance man, Jacob Schmid, saw this. And really, he's the one who reports them. So Hans and Sophie are taken into Gestapo custody. This is where they find the copy of the seventh pamphlet written by Christopher in the Uh possessions of Hans. So Sophie did get rid of some incriminating evidence before being taken into custody. And how Hans tried to like destroy the draft was by tearing it apart and trying to eat it. So, you know, it's always something that it destroys a lot, guys. You just gotta be quick and uh, quiet about it. Mm-hmm. But the Gestapo, I think I'm guessing he didn't get a chance to actually, like, he probably started ripping up and shoving in his mouth, and the Gestapo got it. And they were able to match the handwriting with other writings of Prost um, when they searched Hans' apartment. So their attempts to protect him yeah. didn't really go well. The main interrogator was Robert Moore, who. Originally, it was like, yeah, Sophie's innocent. You know, that whole she's she a female thing. She couldn't do this. Um, which, if anything, World War II proved women were the best spies <laughs> for that reason. They're always like, women couldn't do this. And some of the Nazis' most yep. feared spies were women. They're like, they're like, this woman keeps out foxing us. And they're like, yes. <laughs> yes, we know. So, but Hans confessed. And Sophie was like, it was just the two of us. There's just the two of us. It Nobody else. To protect all the other uh, members. When Sophie appeared in court, it was revealed that her interrogation was so cruel that she, mm. they broke her leg to basically get answers out of her. So she went to the People's Court before Judge Roland Freisler on February 21st, 1943, and she was recorded saying these words, quote, Somebody, after all, had to make a start. What we wrote and said is also believed by many others. They just don't dare express themselves as we did, end quote. So she was just like, fuck it. Let's go. You got me. It is what it is. Yeah. So there was no testimony allowed for defendants. So basically what she said was her only defense. And we know that on February 22nd, 43, Sophie Hans and Christopher were condemned to death by the People's Court, which was basically created to eliminate Hitler's enemies. So there was no chance of them getting a fair trial. We know Hans' last words from the guillotine were, long live freedom. Yes, they were guillotined. People forget that that's still a thing that was happening. <laughs> Which, if you think about it, in this in the methods of execution, guillotine is like the nicest. It is, considering quite a few of the other uh, assess- uh, executions included being strangled by piano wire, which is not the easiest way to go, if you think about it. Oh, strangulation takes at least seven minutes. People don't know. It's very difficult to strangle a person. Um... And so, like, the fact that they're getting, I personally am like, that's not the worst death. Like, I mean, if you get shot by, uh, like, firing squad is pretty bad because, like, what if they miss or what if they don't hit the mm-hmm. correct spot? And and there's always that you can hear it coming too, just the ready aim. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Really unprecedented. The guards let Christopher Profs a few minutes alone with Hans and Sophie before they went to their death. And, you know, that's like, it's kind of nice. They all could sit there and be like, guys. We did a good thing. We were caught, but we did a good thing and like kind of comfort each other. So they tried to get Will uh, to give up names of his co-conspirators and they interrogated him mm-hmm. for months. His final his final thoughts were, quote, they shall continue what we have begun, end quote, which I'm like, again, great <laughs> death quote. Like now they're all like really weird and stuff like that. And you're just like, he had plenty of time to think about that. Apparently. Um, I know he had months. Well, he, they're like asking him, who are your co-conspirators? Like, <laughs> what are my last words going to be? Uh, Alexander Schmoll was arrested in an air raid shelter and executed at Munich mm-hmm. Stahlheim. Uh, so 
Kurt Huber became one of the actual defendants at the trial of the People's Court against the White Rose. And pretty much his last words were an affirmation of humanness. So basically, all of these people, like, they're very hopeful that, like, the Nazis won't win. And you have to be like, man, if I was getting murdered by like a dictatorship i hope i have that like inspirational like hope that it's gonna get better <laughs> i'm too much of a pessimist for that uh jürgen was interrogated by the gestapo but they really couldn't prove his involvement so he actually survived he then yeah he got transferred to the front which was beyond the nazis control to like i mean it's not a great no. place to be but he did survive it so good do you him. know which front he was sent to okay Probably the Eastern. That's where they usually sent the undesirables. Yeah. Yeah. So, but after the war, he actually relocated to the United States, became a doctor, and received an award from the government of West Germany for his bravery. So, like, a lot of people actually recognize this group for, like, being like, hey, they're not fighting in the streets, but they're trying to change the mindset of the people and, like, being like, hey, guys, there's ways we can actually come Mm -hmm. out of this looking okay and deal with it so i'm gonna end this with um really kind of like sophie's last words that we know of quote how can we expect righteousness to prevail when there is hardly anyone willing to give himself up individually for to a righteous cause such a fine sunny day and i have to go but what does my death matter if through thousands of people are awakened and stirred by action end quote so it's just so inspirational she's like you know what my death might bring other people to resist and fight and continue on and i kind of love this different take of a freedom fighter not fighting through like espionage or anything just be trying to be like i want to change people's minds and like share this like these points of views in a well thought out way and be like you can be passive and still mm-hmm. resist you don't have to support it so yeah that's uh mm-hmm. sophie scroll she is actually one of the i think was voted one of the most influential germans of uh that of the 20th century and and there's like countless countless like movies and books and yeah if you look at the end of her wikipedia page she's really popular in literature in music in theater in film like it's crazy so you know hopefully her act of selflessness continues on and we can all i think we can all take part from that being like hey maybe we all need to wake up and not drink yeah, the flavor nice. I, w- I would like to know uh because i'm sure I've actually seen this before. Um, people have said that mm-hmm. she, uh, that the the White Rose movement was late to the party and resisting um, mm-hmm. the Nazis. Even even with just the leaflets, they were late to the party, and they actually weren't. Everyone sees nineteen forty two and they're like, "Oh, America's in the war. It's uh, it's too late. Everyone knows the mm-hmm. Nazis are going to lose." Well, actually, nineteen forty two is like the best year for Nazi Germany on uh, in the war so far, at least in the Eastern Front. Uh, they're about to take Stalingrad mm-hmm. from the looks of it. Leningrad's still wrapped up tight. And so things are on the up and up in Germany. And so for them to actually be going saying the government's wrong, the government's wrong, we're losing this war, things are going to go bad for us, mm-hmm. is really, really going against the norm. Uh, it's it's really standing up for your beliefs, even when it doesn't look like your beliefs are right. And so their their ability to do so is very amazing um, and should be applauded for doing so rather than just saying, oh, they're late to the party. They should have done that in the very beginning, which, you know, 1933, you said, how old was she when they were? Do- I know when she died, she was like 21. 21. Yeah, they're they're pretty. They're pretty yeah, so young. There's no way that she and her brother would have been able to actually actively resist when Hitler comes to power in 1933. 
Come on, guys. <laughs> There's just yeah. no way. Yeah, because no, she yeah, she died at 21. So like, I mean, let's but it's just it's crazy because probably yeah okay so her brother mm-hmm. was 24 so they're a bunch of imagine a bunch of college kids that's pretty much what they are is a bunch of college kids probably 20 to 25 i mean christopher is probably the oldest one and i'm trying to figure out if they have his because he was i mean he's not that much older he's born in 1919 so he's actually only a couple years older than sophie so like they're all in their mid to early 20s so if they're late to the party, it's because exactly. they were children. There's nothing they could they're... do. So the fact that they were still trying to do no. something. Uh, deep in the hearts of Nazi-controlled Germany during the height of their power. That's, that's good on them. And it's like Im- impressive because if you think about it, they're producing mm-hmm. pamphlets. With the hand-drawn system, it's so much harder than if you had, they had a printing press. They don't have a printing press. They're just a bunch of college kids. College kids don't have printing presses. Well, anymore. I don't know about you. I had one. So, yeah. Took up half my apartment, <laughs> but I had one. Oh, yeah. You know, those nice printing presses. But, yeah. So, I just, I don't know. I thought it was, I like the different types of stories. And I thought that this was a good, yes, it's about Nazis, but it's people who chose. They're like, you know what? They're conscientious objectors. They're trying to change minds. They're not They're not going to be the people out there throwing and Molotov what, what cocktails. Done anyway, but they're going to be. To go out there and start shooting up the streets and throwing Molotov cocktails. Nothing, right? There's, that would just make them enemies of the people in the state. And instead, I, I really feel like this, the fact that they were killed in such a way endeared them to the state. Or That's not to the state, well, to the people. <laughs> And so the state, no. Hitler did not like them. We're not going to lie. Like, I mean, there's proof that, uh, you know, there's busts of her in various places. Uh, you know, that, oh, she was even adopted for a Google Doodle in oh, 2014 nice. on her 93rd birthday. So, like, it's really people do want to remember her because it's and especially like the White Rose movement because they tried a different path and I mean, most of the time you hear about resistance, it's either spies or people like in fighting groups. And this is a very different take. So yeah, we're going to take a little break and then I'm going to guess this is going to be the episode break and we'll come back for your episode, Jacob. But yeah, do you want to tell everyone where they can find you and all fun info? um, I have a website, www.podcastonjourney.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter, uh, Podcast on Germany easy find um our shows on itunes spotify and basically all the other databases those are the two i know off the top of my head but we're all the big ones um uh, feel free to stop by say hi tell us tell me about how you found the show and uh you know like oh man you were you had the georgia tan upset and it's kind of dark so (laughs) so looking forward to hearing from you guys and courtney if you'd like to do this uh, same let my listeners know how to find you Mm -hmm. bye guys Hello everyone, my name is Jacob and I run the podcast on Germany, and I am today's guest on the cult of domesticity with Courtney. Before you get into this wonderful episode, I just wanted to take a moment to introduce the show and to let you know what the podcast on Germany is all about. So the podcast on Germany is about the history of Germany, from pre-written history all the way to 2000. As of right now, we are in the 300s, dealing with the Goths invading the Roman Empire, and kicking the Romans around all over the place. In the last two episodes, we've dealt with the Germans being handed dog meat, the Red Banquet, as I like to call it, and a battle in the middle of a willow field. All of which 
goes terribly, terribly wrong for the Romans and going to end up killing their emperor. But if you want to know more about that, you'll have to go and listen to the show yourself. Okay, that's enough about the show. I don't want to take up any more time from this amazing episode. If you'd like to learn more, please go follow us on Facebook or on Twitter. You can also find us at www.podcastongermany.com. We have a wonderful store full of items that you could buy for yourself or for friends and family and make great Christmas and birthday gifts. Now, on to the episode. Domesticity. We're available on all podcatchers. Remember to rate, review, subscribe to help spread the word or just force other people to listen to it. Our Facebook and Twitter are at Domestic Podcasts and our Instagram is at The Cult of Domesticity. We also have podcast merch at Threadless. Uh, as well, if you want to support us financially or show some appreciation, we have a PayPal tip jar and a Patreon, which has some pretty great perks. Any topic suggestions, feel free to email us at domesticpodcasts at gmail.com. Remember to stay domestic and cult-free. <laughs> 